Take your Bibles, please. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Thank you, Mike. Romans chapter number 1. We're going to continue in our series that we started last week on what is truth. What is truth? And I, I, believe, that, I believe that God was, was starting something uh, last week uh, in, our, in our midst. And I could kind of just sense that, uh, that we, were, we were fighting it a little bit. And I, I want to encourage you to just uh, just allow the allow the Lord to uh, to do what He desires to do in your heart and in your life today. I have prayed heavily that I would only say that which would be honoring and glorifying unto Him uh, this morning. And I, I take that I take that responsibility just with, uh, with with such gratitude that you would give me the privilege to uh, privilege to preach to you. We're going to see. We're going to uh, this morning. The title of the message is "Know God." No truth. No God, no truth. I think you also could probably flip that around and put a K-N-O-W, no God, and you also will know truth. But this morning we're going to kind of take the concept of we, 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 we throw God out, well, then there's no hope that we're going to be able to have that truth. Let's pick it up in verse number 21 of Romans chapter number 1. It says, because that which they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Notice verse 22. We're going to continue down through this text over the course of the message, but just by way of beginning here, look at verse number 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Truth has no meaning apart from God. Truth cannot be adequately explained, uh, recognized, understood, or defined without God as its very source. I kind of tried to lay that foundation last week for this series. And since God alone is eternal, and since he is self-existent, and since he is all alone, so to speak, he is the creator of everything else, God becomes the very foundation and the fountain of all truth. Now listen, if you do not believe that here this morning, try defining truth without reference to God and see how quickly all such definitions will fail. Oh, I'm not talking about just a cavalier type of definition, but where you and I are cognizant of the, you know, kind of the cause and reaction to different things. You say, well, truth is whatever I think is true. Well, who gave you that mind to be able to even think about that concept? And as I said last week, I tried to pay Rick $100 and I gave him a $1 bill last week. And he had a little bit of a problem with that. But to me, hey, that was a $100 bill. To him, obviously, it was a $1 bill. Well, who was right? Certainly not him. I was, right? I gave him a $100 bill. And so what happens is, is if you and I take God out of the equation, you and I really can't, when we boil it down, you and I cannot define it without God. I want you to follow this statement along upon the screen. The moment you begin to ponder the essence of truth, you are brought face-to-face with the requirement of a universal absolute and the reality of God or the eternal reality of God. And that's what we're going to kind of get our, try to wrap our minds around here this morning is that, that, that concept of absolute truth. 
Now, on the opposite side of it, the whole concept of truth instantly becomes nonsense as soon as you attempt to remove the thought of God from your mind. That, of course, is precisely how the Apostle Paul describes mankind here in Romans chapter number 1. He talks about a decline in human ideas. And we see again in our text, and we'll continue down through, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Well, when do they become fools? When they, when they eliminate God. Let me ask you a question. Is our society eliminating God today? Yes, it is. And I am concerned with society, but I'm not preaching to society this morning. I'm preaching to the church. I'm preaching to men and women and, and boys and girls. Thank you, uh, parents, for allowing your kids to be in here this morning. We've had some sickness kind of going around with classes. But I'm preaching to men and women and boys and girls. And I'll, try to be, I'll try to be careful with some of my notes here a little bit later because I, I know there's little children in here. That you and I, we're battling with this thing that's called truth as well. And see, when you and I struggle, guess what? It boils out to a world and, and it becomes far more detrimental. There are serious moral implications when there is a removing of God. Whenever someone tries to disassociate truth from the knowledge of God, you see moral implications. Paul goes on in this text to write in verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator. Nick, can, can you go to that next slide there? Thank you. Let's try that again. Who changed, because I want you to be able to see it, and I appreciate everything that you do back there. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Verse number 26 there, Nick. Can you go to the next slide? Let me read that again for us. Mike, can you help me with that? For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. We want to find out what that means? You jump down to verse number 27. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their heir that was meet. And so if you're wondering what that is, it's a woman leaving the natural use of a man, and a man leaving the natural use of a woman for physical relationships. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So hear me, an abandonment of, of, of bib the biblical definition of truth, the unrighteousness is an escapable result. We see it happening all over in our world, all over in the, every single corner of this contemporary society. In fact, it is so widespread that there is an affirmation of all kinds of physical, sensual relationships outside of marriage. 
It is literally promoted. It is literally affirmed. It is literally the concept of, hey, you got to try it before you buy it. You got to make sure that it works before you actually commit to that man or you actually commit to that woman. There's an affirmation of the transgender. The changing of bathrooms in our society, of homosexuality, of rebellion, and listen to me, all forms of iniquity that we see in our society today is a fulfillment, don't get mad, a fulfillment of what Romans 1 says always happens when a society denies and suppresses the essential connection between God and and truth. Okay, so when you and I begin to take the concept of truth and we somehow disconnect that from God, you have what we read in Romans 1 begin to take place. If you reflect on the subject with any degree of sobriety, you will soon see that even the most fundamental moral distinctions, like good and evil, right and wrong, honor and dishonor. Those cannot possibly have any truth or constant meaning apart from God. You and I, we say, well, this is, this is honorable. And another would say, that's dishonorable. Who's right? Remember what, I, remember what we talked a little bit about uh, uh, last week. Why is it wrong for you to kill somebody else? Remember I asked you that question? Why is it wrong? Is it wrong because America has a law that you cannot kill somebody else? Well, certainly we have a law in our country that you cannot kill somebody else, but we went all the way back to the moral law. And we talked about how there's something a little bit different between you and the animals. Because guess what? In the animal world, there's nothing wrong with killing other animals. They do it all the time. It's kind of, you know, this you know, dog-eat-dog world in the animal world. And yet, you and I, we're distinctly different. You and I, we are, uh, we are created in the image of God. You and I, we've been, we've been given a conscience and we've been given a moral law. Truth and knowledge themselves simply have no coherent significance apart from a fixed source. And I want that fixed source this morning for our study, and it is the fixed source, namely being God. And so let's be honest. How could there be cohesiveness when there is, and they're pushing God out of everything? God embodies the very definition of truth. Every truth claim apart from him is preposterous. In fact, human philosophers, they've literally tried for thousands of years to explain truth to explain the account of human knowledge, and they've tried to do it apart from God. And all that they've tried to do is literally ultimately failed. And that has led to a threatening shift that you and I see in our world of this secular thought, and it is rampant in our society. And so let me, let me try to help you with that this morning. I ask you to pray that the Lord would allow you to receive the truth here this morning, okay? All right, stick with me. Here we go. Here's what we're going to look at kind of uh, maybe even the next two weeks. The existence of absolute truth. Believing in the supremacy of God leads you to believe in the existence of absolute truth. Um, Absolute truth is what Francis Schaeffer used to call true truth. True truth. Not just truth for you, not just truth for me, 
But absolute truth, hear me, whether you and I believe it or we like it. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't like all of, the, all of the truths that are out there, to be honest with you. I just, I really don't like that. I don't like the fact that I, that I can't go, don't crucify me, but that I can't go to Jack in the Box Okay, after 9 p.m. and eat those munchie boxes and then not have empirical evidence that it's killing me. I wish that I could eat anything I wanted, right? And I would gain no weight. Can I get an amen there? Anybody. Man, I love to eat. I'll tell you what. Me and Sarah, she's with the little kiddos this morning. We're trying this diet thing. Have you ever been there? It's like every other month for us. And it's, I'm always hungry. And I want to eat. And after 9 o'clock, Jack in the Box has trash boxes. But I am, they're so good. They're called munchie boxes. You know what? And I haven't had them for months. And so you've you all been praying for me on that, and it's working. But I don't like the truth that you are what you eat. And I'm having a little bit of fun with that, of course. But there are certainly, there are certainly truths that, that I don't like. Now, here's one of the powerful things about our day. There's a lot of very influential people, actually millions and millions of very influential people that do not believe that there is such a thing as absolute truth. And so I want to challenge our church with this series is that you and I would confront the culture with the truth. We would confront the culture with absolute truth. And for many, my desire in this area is sheer presumption. Challenging our culture with the truth? That's not going to work, Ryan. No, not just our truth. Not just the truth for us, but the truth. Or as Schaefer puts it, the true truth. And so one of the ways that we're going to begin this idea of the absolute truth in this study is to look at the supremacy of God. How can we get to the goal of shaping or challenging our culture? Listen, you look from Genesis to Revelation, you will find God's people challenging the culture. You will find God's people not just, you know, morphing into it. It doesn't mean that we got to be odd and weird. I'm not saying that. But you and I, we ought to be an affront to the sinful, let me just say that, the sinful side of culture. Culture in and of itself is not bad. Okay, so how do we, how do we set such a goal? Well, the answer is that we believe in the supremacy of God. If the supreme God exists, then there is truth with a capital T. God is simply there, and you and I, we've got to take him as he is. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. He was the one that created, but he was, in the beginning, God was already there. Before the foundation, before the mountains were brought forth, Psalm 90 says, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God, a supreme being who is what we know as God. And as well as we learn of Jesus in Colossians 1, this text is about Jesus, but it says in verse 17, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. See, Jesus is eternal also, because Jesus is God. He is the incarnate God that lived on this earth some 2,000 years ago. Listen, we do not make God. 
We do not shape God. There are people groups all over the world that, 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 that shape their gods. One of the Ten Commandments is that, you know, that we're not to put God in any graven image. We're not to try to form what God looks like. You and I, we, we can't make him. We can't shape him. Listen, we do not even get to define him. God makes all things. God shapes. And God defines. So guess what? We come into the universe full of givens just full of them. You come into this world and there are just certain things that are so. Why? Because God ordained that. Because God created that. He has his ways and his truth. That is what you embrace when you and I embrace the concept of the supremacy of God. But I want you to notice that it kind of, that's kind of out there in the clouds a little bit. You know, the supremacy of God. But Paul he brings it down a little bit closer for us in 1 Timothy 3.15. He says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to believe, behave, excuse me, thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the, talk to me. The pillar and ground of, talk to me. The pillar and the ground of truth. That's the church. The church is the support. The church is the protector of, as Schaefer put, true truth in the world. It's the truth. Church. Why is that? Because the church is the household of God. And God is the truth. We talked, we looked at verses last week in the Old Testament of how it says, God who is truth. God is truth. Multiple verses about that, how Jesus is truth. What he is and what he says and what he does defines the truth. So those who submit to him, those who listen to him, those who speak for him, and that's literally Christians. I know that's what I'm doing now, but you and I, we're, we're speaking for God, so to speak. And as we live in his ways, we become the pillar and the ground of truth. Listen to me. See, those, see these walls around us? They're beautiful. These stained glass windows, this awesome rock. This is a building. It's actually not the church. The church is you. The church is believers, and we have the privilege, and there's certainly a grand millions of them all over the world, but we are a local body right here at Redwood. And it's a joy to be a part of the body with you. But you and I, we make up the church. So that, guess what? You and I, we become the pillar, and we become the ground. We come, become the stability for what is truth. And that's why I said this morning, I'm not so much trying to preach to the culture. You and I, we got to understand the truth so that we can impact the culture. Okay, and so this is one reason why God and one reason why the church is so unpopular in our world today. Why? Because God and the church, they represent absolute claims on people's minds and wills and emotions. You and I had a problem a couple Sunday nights ago, didn't you? With a man slaughtering dozens of people. Did you have a problem with that? I did. And if you were honest and you had an opportunity to talk, you would probably say, you know what, hey, I had a problem with that. Guess what? Truth, God, and the pillar of truth, you and I, we get to, we, we get to say, no, 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 there was something wrong with that. There's not, that's not okay. So guess what? Truth controls, and people don't like that. 
if God exists, we are not God. If God is true, then we cannot decide what is true. It is out of our hands. We have no say in it. We have no vote. Hear me, the universe is not a democracy. The universe is terribly old-fashioned. It's a monarchy. And guess what? The world in which we live, truth in and of itself, God in and of itself, it's not hip with today's standards. It's not up to the times. So what people do is they push it out. Why do people flee from different things? Because they don't like what they hear. And I honestly, I, 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 you, can, you can ask Pastor Mike, I'm not trying to puff myself up. I literally do. I spend multiple, I spend a lot of time during the week saying, God, would you, would you shape what I say? I want to say the truth. I want to say what the Word of God says. And that's why, I mean, I literally, between Sunday school and between now, I went into my office and I just said, God, give me courage to just preach your word. I know that it's not always popular. It's, it can be, it can take hold on, on people's minds and wills and emotions. But Paul describes ordinary people in Romans 1 like this. Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. He says in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who I preached to you last week who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Even the lost man and woman that you come in contact with, they've got conscience, they've got creation. We looked at that last week. But I want us to come to a kind of as we, as we begin to wrap up here this morning, You and I, we need to understand this. Left to ourselves, our hearts always tilt one way. When you and I are left to ourselves, it always tends to mm, turn towards evil. And of course, that's why God intervenes. God brings the truth. I I want you to follow along this shocking testimony of 19, in 1979, Arthur Leff, a Yale law officer, uh, Yale law professor, excuse me, spoke at Duke University and expressed how human beings are torn between these idea of absolute truth and whatnot. He goes on to say this, I want to believe, James, or, or next slide, Nick. I want to believe, and so do you, in a complete, transcendent, and imminent set of propositions about right and wrong. Finding rules, findable rules that authoritatively and unambiguously direct us how to live righteously. He's saying that's, that's what you, that's what we want. We, we, we want some things that, that, that will actually govern our lives. But then he goes on to say, I also want to believe, and so do you, in no such thing, but rather that we are wholly free, not only to choose for ourselves what we ought to do, but to decide for ourselves individually and as a species what we ought to be. What we want, heaven help us, is simultaneously to be perfectly ruled and perfectly free. That is at the same time to discover the right and the good and to create it. 1976, 79, excuse me. 
That kind of really depicts our society here. Really depicts our world. But you know what? You want to know what Mr. Left was saying there? He was acknowledging that there is a God. He's acknowledging the kind of kind of the underlying. You know, this doesn't make sense if we don't have a rhyme or reason to it. Because ultimately, if we want to be left to ourselves, man, if we were, yikes. The Bible says that except for the gracious work of the Holy Spirit, our hearts always tilt one way. We suppress the ultimate objective truth that is outside of ourselves and we choose to create our own. This is ultimately why the supreme God of the Bible is rejected. If God exists, he is absolute truth. And we got to yield to him. And I don't know about you, I don't like yield signs. And just my natural nature is I'm going first. Right? Come on, I'm not, I can't be the only one. There's probably some perfect drivers in here. I am not one of those, okay? I'm a good driver. Haven't gotten in an accident in a long time, like 16 years. Just had to get that out of there. I'm just kidding. I don't really believe in that. We must allow God. If he's really supreme, if he's really God, if, he, if, if, if he's really the originator of it, then we have to allow him to define what's good and bad. We've got to allow God to define what is right and wrong. Can I say this really quick? You and I ought to, def- we ought to let God define what is beautiful and what is ugly. You want to know what ugly is? Sin is ugly. You want to know what is beautiful? Everything that God has ever created. Man, our society today says, hey, you know, you're beautiful if you look this way. And No, no, no. It's time we get back to what God declares as what is beautiful and ugly. What is wise and foolish. And our very selves according to him and not according to us. Let him define. God is the measure of all things, not man. You following? You good? This is the ultimately, this is unpopular truth, (laughs) to be honest with you. For self-sufficient, self-exalting, self-determining human beings. It's hard. I, I get it. I didn't want to preach this series. Trust me. I fought it. This means we're going to swim against the, against the stream. If we're, going to, if we're going to live by truth, if we're going to live by what we declared last week as what is, well, what is truth, God is truth, Jesus is truth, his word is truth, everything that Jesus says is truth. And so if you and I are going to be guided by this, guess what? You're going to be like a salmon swimming upstream. It's going to be hard. The culture's against you. We will challenge the culture with what? truth. Why? Because we believe in the supremacy of God and a supreme God implies absolute truth. So now, really quick, as I kind of wind up, I know I already said that, but you can believe me this time. Let me caution us here real quick. You and I, we don't know everything. Can I get an amen? We don't know everything. Okay, you and I, we're, you know, we're still, uh, we're still kind of struggling through this thing as well. So you and I, we hold the truth. Listen, allow the, allow the truth to do what it needs to do. You don't need to take that truth and beat it over people's heads. Follow me? Because sometimes there's things that you need to be beat over the head with you too. 
Okay, so we don't, we don't do everything perfectly. Now, this, this text that we're going to look at is dealing primarily with the, with the inspiration of Scripture and how God has revealed it to us. But I want to, I want to apply it in a, in a unique way here. Notice verse number 9 of 1 Corinthians 13. should be up on the uh, screen there. It says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, verse 10, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things, okay? And so without going in, we do not have the time here for this morning, but Paul is saying when that which is perfect, that, that word that is in the neuter, so it's not male or female, it's talking about the word of God, okay? When you and I were given the word of God, then things begin to change. But look at verse number 12. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. So let me apply this for you here really quickly. You and I, we don't know everything. So please, as men and as women of holders of truth, you ought to approach life humbly, not I know everything, or that we're better than anybody. Listen, just because I have a, you hear me? Just because I have a heterosexual relationship doesn't mean that I am better than anybody that does not. You, you following me? And so you and I, we don't, we don't see everything perfectly here, but you know who we do see? You and I, you know what we can preach all day long and you can do it boldly? That is Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know what you can do all day long? Preach Jesus. All day long, just preach Jesus. You come in contact with someone that doesn't, you know, live according to your exact truth? Preach Jesus. He's the truth. In Christ, it says in Colossians 2, 3, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You and I, we don't know everything. But praise God in Jesus, we've got what we need to know. Preach him. He's the great rescuer. And then he's spoken plainly in his word on all essential things for living and believing as we ought to live. 2 Timothy three fifteen, And then from a child that was known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Ladies and gentlemen, as we've started this series, and I close now, the war has been going on since Genesis. Genesis chapter 3 Verse number one, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, yea, hath God said. Is this real truth? Did God really mean that you can't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? And boom, you know, you've been in church for any length of time. Eve takes of the fruit. The fall of man, and there has been an all-out war on truth ever since. I believe there's, and I'm going to get to it in a couple weeks, I believe there's a war on truth in the church. But listen, you and I got the truth right here.
you and I, if we believe in the supremacy of God, then you and I ought to believe that there is absolute truth. Why do we hate the truth? Why do we, why do we hide from it? Why does it, why is it something that we just, that we want, we, we, we want to run from? Well, John kind of gives us a little bit of an insight here. John 3, 19. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You want to know what that verse says right there? People reject the light. People reject the truth for moral implications, not for logical reasons, not because of intellectual reasons, moral reasons, because they know the truth. They know the light begins to expose the next verse says in verse 20, for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Sinners love their sin, so they flee from the light. And they deny truth's existence and God's existence. Could you just understand that's why? Oh, listen, they're not smarter than you. No, there's people smarter than you. Don't get me wrong. A lot of people smarter than me. But what I mean is this. It's not an intellectual reason why they want to deny truth. It's a moral reason. It's a spiritual reason because truth makes them accountable. And so you and I, you and I, we've got the truth. Don't, don't give it in, don't give the truth in mean and nasty ways. No, 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 no. Just give him Jesus. I'm the way truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Give somebody this week the truth. What is it? Well, it starts with the supremacy of God which teaches us that we actually have an absolute truth. And over these next couple weeks, I told you it's not going to be necessarily an easy series. I didn't want to preach it on Sunday morning either. But God, I believe, wants to teach us that, you know what? I believe there's some areas where you know what? I have an opinion on something, and yet we want God's word to reshape the way that we think things, including me right here. I'm asking God to do a work in my life as well. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. I want you to ponder whether or not you receive the word when God is speaking unto you. And ask him to help you. I realize that our lives, we hear one message. It doesn't change our entire life. I, 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 I get that. But you know what God wants to do? God wants to use week after week your private Bible reading, your prayer time to just continue to work in your life. Ask him to help you with that. God to help you to realize that truth doesn't always line up with what we like and what we want. We need to be men and women of the truth who, as Paul said, were fully persuaded in their 
hearts and minds. Ask God to help you.